Hello, I'm Merrick Schneider. Welcome to this podcast of articles from the Wall Street Journal, a presentation of Airs LA. You are listening to this recording, which is provided for the use of those who are blind or print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyrighted property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Today's first article is by Frank Wilzek, The Scientific Value of Ignorance. We'll follow that up with an article by Jennifer Williams Alvarez, Why Adults Can't Quit a Kid's Snack. Jennifer Maloney wrote, Boozy Beverages Blur blur Lines for Kid Adult Drinks. And Joe Queenan has, Adapting to a World Where Adapters Run Amok. And we'll follow that up with an article by Nicole Alt, When a Big Family Gets Bigger. All these articles are from recent editions of the Wall Street Journal. So let's begin with today's first article, The Scientific Value of Ignorance. In George Orwell's novel, 1984, Ignorance is Strength is a shocking slogan that epitomizes a corrupt and sinister regimen. But in a more nuanced form, ignorance can be strength. It is an apt slogan for some cutting-edge science. Used wisely, ignorance can be a superpower that makes our senses more acute and our minds more capacious, though measuring devices and computers, respectively. This seeming paradox is rooted in the nature of quantum reality which imposes a fundamental limitation on our knowledge of the properties of any object. Given perfect theoretical knowledge of an object's state, we can predict probabilities for where it will be found and how fast it will be seen to move if we measure those things. But according to quantum theory, when we multiply the fuzziness in predicted position by the fuzziness in predicted momentum, the product cannot get below a definite level. This is Hershenberg's uncertainty principle. Now suppose that we'd like to measure the position of a test body very precisely so that we can detect the tiny distortions of space caused by gravitational waves. To minimize the fuzziness in its position while remaining in Heidelberg's good graces, we need to crank up the fuzziness in its momentum. The art of doing this is called squeezing, and it is a hot frontier of research. The main difficulty in making good quantum computers is keeping ignorant about what they're doing. A classical computer runs through a sequence of definite positions, each consisting of a series of zeros and ones, that represent the states of its transistors. A quantum computer, like a quantum particle, allows all these positions to coexist. Fuzziness in position is necessary so that the computer can move reliably with small fuzziness in momentum to execute the next step in its program. If the computer inadvertently betrays information about its distribution of positions, it will reduce that distribution's fuzziness and necessarily inject fuzziness into the corresponding momentum, thus making the program's execution unreliable. 
When I first began to think about leveraging ignorance in the quantum world, I considered it to be one of that world's weird special features. But I've come to see it as a much broader idea that illuminates many things about how we deal with the everyday world. Consider, for example, what it means to recognize someone. The underlying pattern of photons that arrives at our retina will be quite different depending on where that person is, how they're oriented, whether they're partially hidden behind other objects, what they're wearing, and many other factors. But in concluding it's Betsy, we choose to ignore all that, and that's obviously a useful thing to do. Why don't we all have perfect pitch? Within our inner ears, we have little inverse pianos that move specific keys, actually specialized hairs, in response to specific tones. The information is there, but few of us can access it. Those of us who don't have perfect pitch may have chosen ignorance, unconsciously as our brains got wired up, in order to focus on more generally useful relationships. Adam and Eve were punished for eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However you take that story, it is a vivid reminder that ignorance is an option worth keeping in mind. And now, why adults can't quit a kid snack? When Justin Waddell settles in for lunch, most days he's having an unscrutable. He prefers the grape jelly and peanut butter flavor of the J.M. Smucker sandwich, but will occasionally eat the strawberry jam option for variety. And while Waddell isn't opposed to assembling his own PBJ, I can make a pretty mean one, he says, it's hard to beat the convenience of throwing one of the mass-produced frozen sandwiches in his lunchbox. In a typical week, Waddell will have an uncrustable each day along with something crunchy, even though it means some occasional teasing in the lunchroom. There were the jokes when I first started. You know, nice uncrustable, says Waddell, a 35-year-old machine operator in Erlander, Kentucky. He keeps putting them in his lunches anyway. And I think I opened up the floodgates because there are now other guys bringing uncrustables, he says. What started in 1995 as a school lunchtime snack called Incredible Uncrustables made by two fathers in North Dakota is now in briefcases and handbags and a growth driver for one of the country's biggest food and beverage makers. Whether eaten by golfers, lawyer, or construction workers, the crimped, crustless discs aren't just for children anymore. They are a go-to at music festivals, a source of calories for runners mid-marathon, and a portable meal for professionals, side-eyed glances notwithstanding. Impassioned fans debate how best to eat Uncrustables, frozen or not. And if in the latter camp, how long should they thaw and by what method? In your pocket or a few hours in a lunchbox? Can you microwave them? Yes, most say, on low power for soft bread and a gooey inside. Or toast them? Debatable. Some worry about the potential fire hazard if the uncrustable filling oozes out mid-toast. Smuckers does not recommend toasting or microwaving. 
Ted Karras likes not only the convenience of Uncrustables, but also the caloric boost. The 6-foot-4-inch offensive lineman, who weighs around 320 pounds, needs a quick way to pack in protein and keep weight on during the season with the Cincinnati Bengals of the National Football League. He says it can cost him $760 per pound a day in fines to the team if he's outside of a range of 314 and 324 pounds, a range stipulated in his contract. So the 30-year-old tries to eat around 6,000 to 7,000 calories a day during the season. Some of those calories come from eating Uncrustables, especially later in the season when Kara says he tires of eating big meals. When you're in a training camp or as the season goes on, breakfast can be very monotonous, he says. So he swaps in Uncrustables. Two or three Uncrustables, a cup of coffee and a water, and I'm ready to roll. Karras, who comes from a family of NFL players, eats what he calls Jumbo Uncrustables. Smucker says it sells larger Uncrustables to certain markets, and those have, a fa- have about 590 calories. The classic ones sold in stores have about 200 calories. Sales have soared since Smucker, based in Orville, Ohio, acquired the product in 1998. Uncrustables' net sales in the current fiscal year are expected to grow around 20% to over $800 million, according to Smucker. All of a sudden, you're finding them everywhere, says Smucker Chief Financial Officer Tucker Marshall. The growth has meant adding new flavors, such as options with meat and cheese, and new markets launching in Canada this year. Some Uncrustable eaters further uncrust their Uncrustables, cutting off the crimped edges. Online, avid fans share hacks, among them adding toppings such as fruit, syrup, and powdered sugar, or frying them. Uncrustables have some competition. Chubby Snacks, which says it offers healthy pre-programmed crustless sandwiches with less sugar than other options, launched in June 2020 with circle-shaped PBJs. Within 30 days, the Los Angeles-based company says it received a letter from Smucker claiming Chubby's round, crustless sandwiches were too similar. The brand has since abandoned the circle shape. Now Chubby sandwiches, featuring strawberry or grape jam, paired with either peanut or almond butter, look like clouds. Forced to decide whether it was worth going up against them in court or change the shape, we decided to change to a cloud, says Chubby Snacks founder and chief executive officer, Dilan Jejio. Gelant Tiger, a Minneapolis-based brand, last October launched crustless round sandwiches that pair ingredients such as peanut butter and salted strawberry jam and almond butter with apple chili jelly. Smucker late last year took issue with the shape of the sandwiches, according to Gallant Tiger founder Kamal Mohammed. But Gallant Tiger's sandwiches, which come frozen or refrigerated, are still being sold, currently in around a half dozen coffee shops in the Minneapolis area, Mohammed says. 
I don't think we go after the same customer, he said. We're mostly going after foodies. Smucker says it is protecting its intellectual property. The shape of its crustless sandwiches is instantly recognizable to consumers, the company says. Some find the appeal of Uncrustables inscrutable, particularly if homemade sandwiches are an option. Guerrero Lopez, 33, acknowledges he'll eat them while on the job as a firefighter in, the Santa, in Santa Rosa, California, where they are often provided at fire scenes. Lopez likes the flavor enough that he'll barter with other firefighters for their Uncrustables. His preference? Strawberry? room temperature by itself as a snack. But when Lopez is at home with access to the needed ingredients, his wife will shame him if he goes for an encrustable over a regular sandwich. It's not that hard to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, so it's kind of silly, he says. Catherine Peterson, a director of data operations in Lexington, Kentucky, and her husband started eating on Uncrustables around seven years ago while he was in law school. They agree on the best flavor. We are strictly grape jelly, says Peterson, but are divided on the best way to eat them. He's a thought-out type, and I'm just take a bite while it's a little bit frozen, she says. He thinks I'm completely gross for doing that. Kayleen Feglio, a sales and marketing manager in Arizona, gets Uncrustables for her four-year-old daughter, but they are also a guilty pleasure for her. I find myself eating them more than she does, Felio says. And now, boozy beverages blur lines for kid adult drinks. Some states say adult and children's drinks are getting too close. Beverage aisles are teeming with new boozy drinks sold under household favorite brands such as Mountain Dew, Sunny D, Simply Orange Juice, and Ego. The crossover products have multiplied as companies like PepsiCo and Coca-Cola look to gain a foothold in the fast-growing alcoholic beverage categories. Regulators, consumer groups, and public health experts say these crossover products have the potential to create consumer confusion and result in a parent inadvertently buying and serving alcohol to underage children. PepsiCo, which owns the Mountain Dew brand and distributes the alcoholic version, Hard Mountain Dew, in more than a dozen states, has faced criticism for several instances in which Hard Mountain Dew was placed on store shelves adjacent to regular Mountain Dew soda, or, in at least one case, near a display of Hot Wheel toys. PepsiCo's alcohol distribution arm, Blue Cloud Distribution, said it trains employees to keep alcoholic beverages separate from non-alcoholic ones on store shelves and work with retailers to quickly correct the situation if a product is inadvertently shelved in the wrong spot. In one case, a toy display had been incorrectly placed in the beer aisle, and we were able to quickly ask the retailer to relocate the toys, a Blue Cloud spokeswoman said. Hard Mountain Dew sales totaled $54 million in the 52 weeks ended August 12th in the United States retail stores 
tracked by Nielsen, according to an analysis by Goldman Sachs. Sales of Simply Spiked, a boozy extension of Coca-Cola's orange juice brand, totaled $111 million in the same period, Goldman Sachs said. Spirit maker Brown Foreman recently called this year's introduction of Jack Daniels and Coca-Cola the most successful United States product launch in the distiller's history. The Federal Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau reviews product labels to ensure that they don't mislead consumers. States have jurisdiction over where alcoholic products may be sold at retail. Virginia in July implemented a new law barring retailers from shelving alcoholic products next to their non-alcoholic versions. The Illinois Liquor Control Commission in May issued an emergency rule with similar restrictions. The similarities between the packaging of the alcoholic and non-alcoholic versions of Mountain Dew caught regulators' attention in Illinois, said Lisa Gardner, executive director of the state's Liquor Control Commission. We were really concerned that busy parents, busy caregivers, busy shoppers, as they traversed the marketplace, were inadvertently grabbing the wrong thing. Consumer advocates and public health experts criticized the introduction in recent months of Sunny D Vodka Seltzer and Ego Brunch in a jar sipping cream. Sunny D fruit drinks and Ego waffles have long been marketed to children. Sunny D is made by Harvest Hill Beverage, a company owned by private equity firm Brinwood Partners. Harvest Hill has said that consumers were, who were already mixing Sunny D requested a ready to drink alcoholic version. A spokesman for Harvest Hill declined to comment on the potential appeal of the drink to children. The Ego liqueur tastes like maple syrup, butter, and bacon. A collaboration of Kellogg and Sugarlands Distilling, it is packaged in a glass jar with an image of a waffle. Kellogg and the distiller created the drink so parents can Ego relax and enjoy that treat-yourself-feeling brunch of oaks, Kellogg said. Parents are a long-time target audience for Ego, the company said, and the liqueur is clearly labeled as alcohol and intended for adults 21 and over. And now Joe Queenan's Adapting to a World Where Adapters Run Amok. I was very excited to get working on my new laptop, but I quickly realized that I could not transfer files from my old computer because the new device did not have a USB port allowing access to my external hard drive. Seemingly, old-fashioned USB ports are technologically retrograde and stupid, and only a Luddite like me would expect a sleek new laptop to include one. The infuriating absence of the all-purpose USB port falls into the broad general category of problems my mother never had. In fact, it falls into the broad general category of problems I couldn't even try explaining to my mother, much less my father. Rather than bellyache about not being able to transfer my files, I contacted a friend and asked if there was an adapter he would recommend to help me 
to help me to get started on my new laptop. Ridiculing my allegiance to Jurassic-era technology, he recommended a seven-pronged adapter that would allow me to plug in any and all external drives, including a prehistoric thigmajig that would allow me to watch old DVDs like No Country for Old Men. He spoke highly of a device that included a 7-in-1 USB-C hub with 4K HDMI, 100-watt power delivery, USB-C, and two USB-A, 5-gigabyte data ports, microSD, and SD card reader. But he warned me that some adapters would not support 60 Hz 4K HDMI video. I told him that support for 60 Hz 4K HDMI video was not one of my pressing concerns. The adapter worked like a charm and I got all my files transferred lickety split. But it cost me $40 on top of the $800 I'd paid for the computer. This got me thinking about what life would be like if we purchased other products and found that they required the use of an adapter. Footwear, for example. You buy a pair of running shoes online, they arrive in the mail, and you're all set to go for a jog, except that you cannot thread the laces through the shoes, through the holes on the shoes, unless you purchase a 7-in-1 Thunderstorm AK-47, size 6-9, to half W hub with 5K meta functional orthopedic adapter. And a friend warns you that the adapter will only work with shoes up to size 11. Anything beyond that, and you might need the 9-in-1 Thunderstorm AK-47 size 1213XW hub with 10K macro pediatric overdrive, which will not work with your wife's shoes. You'd have a similar problem if you bought a new toaster and found out that the device was not capable of toasting bagels unless you purchased the 7-in-1 T564 45K 65MHz 70MPH Everything Whole Wheat Interface, which comes with two USB SD ports in case you want to film your breakfast being prepared and a friend warn you that the adapter might not work with English muffins. It used to be easy to slip into your pants every morning, but that's when they still came with two ready-made apertures for your legs. New models of trousers require you to purchase an adapter with several expansion slots, two for your legs, one for your trunk. But a savvy friend warns you that certain adapters will not work if you have a pot belly and recommends the 7-in-1 Thundercloud 100 kg girth facilitator with 250 XXXL power delivery. The adapter business is booming, so it is only a matter of time before new connecting devices appear. Possibilities include an adapter that allows your hat to directly interface with your head, an adapter that allows your fork to interface seamlessly with your mouth to effectuate the transfer of tortellini and an adapter that allows razor blades to shave your face. One caveat, the 7-in-1 Thundercloud UFO SDS hub with 12K OTB 100 WWF and two USB-A 5GB 
data ports will not work with goatees. And now, when a big family gets bigger. While cleaning up the church after my sister's wedding last month, my four other siblings and I hashed out the family accounting. Did we lose a sibling? Gain one? Can her husband join the family group chat? Our first family wedding was in no small way a sibling affair, not least because it marked the first change to our ranks. Dad gave the bride away, but it felt as though we brothers and sisters, ushers and bridemaids, were giving our blessing too. We had vetted her husband. A new brother is a big deal. The six of us are close, despite the chafing that comes with sharing bedrooms and a minivan for years. And with our fun but not frictionless endeavors, like fielding a basement baseball team and producing Sunday afternoon plays. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends, and sibling friendships must be cultivated. They are excellent investments. Brothers, teasing and protective, help you grow a thick skin. They are the reason I know anything about sports. Sisters, sweet but honest, offer sartorial judgment before the world can. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity, says Proverbs 17.17. 17. The events we rally for in years ahead won't always be as happy as a wedding. Siblings share burdens. Big families, familiar with raised eyebrows and because of the minivan, know they aren't cool. Certainly they aren't the norm. The average household size was 2.5 in 2022, down from 3.33 in 1960. Environmentalism has given an ideological force to disdain for large families. Yet many great stories attest that sibling camaraderie is enviable. The four Pensives venture into Nardia. The boxcar children make do without parents in so charming a fashion that who wouldn't want to be an orphan living in a train in the woods? Joe March would have no story without Meg, Beth, and Amy. And no family is more hilariously delightful than the cheaper by the dozen dozen. We're happy to count our sister's marriage a gain to the sibling roster, not a loss and our brother-in-law is holding his own in the group chat. That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider, and I'll be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.